0: As we're continuing to work our way through James, James is, I mean, is know something and do something, right? And so last week we looked at it not only being a hearer of the word only, but also be a, a doer of the word. Yeah, because if you're hearing and not doing, you're, you're deceiving yourself. You're actually working to lie to yourself. You're, you're working to, to twist things in your mind to rationalize and justify your behavior. You're, you're deceiving yourself. Well oh man, today we're going to look at the subject of wisdom, but when it comes to wisdom, this is just this fully charged discussion, because we find ourselves engaged all the time in discussion with people of, of man, so-and-so is really wise, they've grown their business, they've done really well, or, or my dad is into raising horses, and he'd read all these books on, on the horse whisper and all these things, and all these different ways to... To, to break horses, to get them to do exactly what you want. And so in that realm, these particular individuals, are they're wise. I mean, they, they know what it takes to accomplish an end, right? But when we look at what James says about wisdom today, he's offering us something radically different. James is, is focusing in on a radically different purpose for wisdom. It's not so that I can give you wise bits of information and you can go out and, and you can just light up the stock market. Or I can give you wisdom and you can go out and you can interact perfectly in the business place. Or I can give you wisdom and you can go in and, and you can you can craft harmony in the home. And you know, if, if your wife cooks, she's cooking exactly what you want her to cook. If she cleans, she's cleaning exactly the way you want her to clean. And for those of you who are like, oh, you mean I I can't get steak every night of the week? That's not what this wisdom is about? No, I'm not teaching you how to manipulate your wife. I'm not. James is going to offer us something radically different when he talks about wisdom. And so if you have your Bible, flip over to James chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18. James starts off and he says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but this is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where wisdom and selfish, or I'm sorry, where jealousy and selfish ambition selfish ambition I just, want to say, I just want to say wisdom over and over again. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to mercy, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is, is headed in a radically different direction this morning. But what we see from just the quick reading of this is that he describes two different types of wisdom. The first wisdom is the wisdom that is from above. This is from God. And the second wisdom, is it doesn't get a good rap from what James is talking about. And so just know that as we go through. There are two types of wisdom, one from above and one we can kind of come to on our own. And so he starts off and he says, who among you is wise. Who among you is wise and understanding? James ask is this, asks this rhetorical question to those gathered in front of him. He comes in and he says, hey, who among you is wise and understanding? Now, you can imagine that as James asks this question and they receive it, that ideas begin to form in their minds. And so there's someone who wasn't paying attention when James went over the slow to anger, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and they're like, whoa, buddy, I'm wise, and they don't realize it's a rhetorical question, and so they're answering out loud. And, and, and we see this type of thing begin to break out, and we see others in the group that are seriously sitting back, and they're thinking, you know, I've never, never considered myself to be a wise person. And they start thinking about what wisdom is, and then there are still others in the group that begin to separate, oh, I wonder what James is talking about. About wisdom. But likely there are some in the group who find themselves being wise according to true wisdom, and those who are wise according to the wisdom of this earth. So James asks him, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, just as we looked at being a hearer and, and a doer of the word, James points at wisdom. He writes that wisdom isn't something to be held on to. Wisdom isn't something just to have a theoretical notion of. See, wisdom isn't good enough just to have information, just to be able to look at a situation and decide the right and wrong about it. You see, wisdom, if it's held nothing more than in our minds, is too worthless. James points to wisdom, and he says, if you are wise, if you are understanding, essentially, if you boil it down, he says, show it! If you're wise, live wisely. If you're wise, let your conduct be a representation of wisdom. Now, this is a radical concept. Because when he says this, there are those in there that you'll remember that likely and ask the question if they are wise, they're reflecting back upon their business success. They're reflecting back upon all the things that have gone well for them in this life, and they're saying, am I wise? Have you seen all these rings on my hands that are testaments to the money that I've made over the years from being wise in business? But then James flips it, and he says, if you're wise, if you have understanding, show it by the meekness of your conduct and wisdom. We see at first that wisdom is met with humility. That wisdom isn't met with being a braggart. That wisdom isn't met with somebody wearing large robes and a shirt that says, Have a question? Ask me. I'm wise. But wisdom is met out in the behavior of life, which is described as being meek, which is described as being humble. See, James is driving that meekness should not be self-seeking, that that, that wisdom should be characterized as being meek. It shouldn't be self-seeking. Now, what we're going to see is that he changes gears in verses 14 and 15. He changes gears and he begins to to describe and expound upon those things which are bad about wisdom, the the wisdom that you and I probably interact with more on a day-to-day basis. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. See, James, when he moves from this, this command to display your wisdom and your meek conduct, and then he starts in and he starts on bad wisdom let's just call it bad wisdom he asked them the question he says if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth let's think about that James writes and he says hey look some of you you, you see the things that others have and you want them for your, for your own right that, I mean, that's the basis of being jealous right and so somebody else gets an iPad, I, I want an iPad. Somebody else gets a, a new car, I, I, I kind of want a new car. Somebody else, you know, sprains an ankle, you're like, look at all the attention they get. They sprained an ankle. I'm going to sprain both of mine. I'm going to break my toes with a hammer right now just so people line up and shake my hand. I mean, jealousy has this, this tendency to kind of corrupt. We see things happen to other people, and the thing in the jealous person's mind is all the good stuff happened to them. And even the bad stuff results in free meals and people coming by and asking how they're doing. And so we see jealousy does not rejoice at the celebration of others. This is why this breaks down in the church. This is why this breaks down community in the church. See, as a body, what we should do is we should rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We should be Filled with sorrow for those that are experiencing sorrows. We go through life together. So when we so- see someone overcome some great obstacle, when we see someone overcome some struggle in their life, when we someone see someone have some great landfall, land some great account at work, or the- their wife and them that start to work through issues, their kids are finally making good grades, or maybe not coloring on the walls as much, we rejoice in that. We don't lament the fact that man nothing never good ever happens to me because when we begin to do that when we begin to do that we are being jealous of those around us. We want the things they have to be in our life. We don't really care what happens to them because if it doesn't happen in my life, if it doesn't happen on my island of independence, I don't care. And that's the attitude that's so pervasive. We begin to pursue only those things that matter to us. We begin to pursue only those things that gratify, gratify self. And so I have my own conception of how everything should be. And if it doesn't line up 100% with how I think things should do it, if we don't sing the songs I think we should sing, if the lighting isn't the way I think we should do it, I, I make lightning come and, and bring out random lights in the building. That wasn't my fault. It's, it's probably Jay's fault that lightning happened last night. We only have half the lights in here. but I'm not jealous of Jay and his ability to control lightning. You see, when we're jealous... And when we have selfish ambition, we're not content to serve the role that God would have for us in this life. We're not content to serve the role that God would have for us in this church. And we see the things that other people are doing, and we want what they have. We want the recognition that they have. We want the influence that they have. And we want to be able to make the decisions for them. Because in this situation, we have found ourselves to be solely wise. Solely the owner of all right and good information, and we're the only one that should be making decisions. We're the only one who should be prescribing behavior, because in this setting of being jealous and pursuing selfish ambition, we alone are wise. Man, what an empty, sad, pathetic existence. Not to be able to share in the victories of those we see around us, not to be able to share in the rejoicing that we see around us, not to be able to be happy unless things are going exactly the way that we want them to be. How sad is that? There would be so little joy in a life lived that way. There would be so little happiness lived in a life that is only satisfied when things happen the way that we would want them to be that the me monster would want them to be. And he says in that, he says, if this is you, don't boast. Don't boast and be false to the truth. If if you find yourself more often than not pushing forward your own agenda, pushing forward the things that gratify self, if this is you, keep your mouth shut. Repent. Because if this is you, and you're out, and you're boasting, You're speaking against the truth. No, this isn't the truth, as in some committee came together and they decided what was true and what was false. This is James writing in shorthand for the gospel. What he's telling them is if you are boasting, if you are putting forward these things to meet your conception of how life should be and how everything should be done around you, you are opposed to the gospel. I mean, that should give them pause. That should give each of us pause as we sit back and evaluate our motives. As we sit back and evaluate the way we do things. That we mete out decisions and we behave in community with one another. That we could be guilty of being opposed to the gospel and trying to advance our own agendas. And if we think that's bad, it's about to really get bad. He says... This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. He says, when you buy into this type of behavior, when you buy into the fact that that jealousy and selfish ambition and pushing forward your own agenda is appropriate, this isn't the wisdom from above. He says, this this is earthly, this is common, this is the type of thing we see in the marketplace. Where it's all about advancing myself. It's all about trying to make me the most important, the most observable, the most respected individual that I can be. It's all about gratifying self and having others want to do the same to me. He said it's earthly. He said it's unspiritual. See, it is opposed to To the spiritual nature of God. It is moving in opposition to the things of God. It says, when you make decisions, when you purport, when you put forth your understanding and your wisdom and you do these things, it is unspiritual. It is opposed to God. And then the harshest critique he could offer he says it's demonic. Now, let's stop there and think about this for a second. When James writes this, and when he tells them that your behavior, in essence, is demonic, I mean, that had to make them step back. They've already been told that, that they're at risk of working against the gospel, and likely that would stop some, right? You're working against the gospel. Stop it. And so they say, okay, I don't want to work against the gospel but to think that there are some that are so concerned with pers- with pursuing and with driving towards their own agenda that are so consumed with making things the way that they want them to be that they're in league with satan i mean because that's what he's saying he says when you engage when you do this type of behavior you're campaigning for the enemy When you advance self, when you're working for no other than your own glorification and and working to meet your own ends, and you do that in this way in the body, in church, you're in league with the devil. Man, how offensive is that? How offensive is that? Man, that should cause all of us to sit down and evaluate the decisions that we're making in this body. How do we engage with one another? The fact that that just from the slippery slope of not rejoicing with one another to moving to bitterness, to moving to selfish ambition, we could find ourselves in league with the enemy. And he says it's it's demonic. It's demonic. And then in verse 16, we see the, the outcome of this in the body. We see what he says, what happens to it. He says, he says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Now, is anybody under the understanding or maybe misconception that that none of us in this room suffer from jealousy? That all of us are free from any jealousy, any tinge of jealousy? Is there anybody in here that that doesn't suffer from jealousy of some sort. Just go ahead and raise your hand. We can have an informational meeting later and you can tell us all how to follow you in the pattern of non-jealous behavior. I saw someone in the back. I think you're swatting a fly. There's nobody in here, right? We all suffer and struggle with, with not being jealous. We all struggle with rejoicing with those around us. We are all just steadily working against this tendency of trying to bring about our own ends in things. But you see, not only do we find ourselves in league with the devil when we do such things, when James writes and he says, this is what happens in the body, he says it brings disorder. Now you read this and you start thinking, well, what type of disorder could it bring? I mean, because everybody's just peacefully trying to advance their own agenda you see, what we have is not a body moving in unison, but what we have are a bunch of individuals trying to advance all separate directions because the only thing they're able to see is that their agenda is the most important. You see, the way that God sets up a church is God calls certain individuals into leadership under the lead shepherd of Jesus Christ, and He calls others to follow that person, to imitate that person as he is imitating Christ. We see Paul tell the people in Philippi to find those you can imitate in the Lord. Paul writes to them, he says, even imitate me. But there's always this understanding, there is always this idea of submission, of following, and of respecting. This is difficult. And somewhere in our minds, as Baptists, it gets in and says, yeah, but we need to be able to vote on everything. And we need to be able to control everything. And we need to be able to wrap our hands around absolutely everything. And if I see a decision made that I didn't hear about a vote on, you talk about being a league with Satan, I'm going to recruit some people. We're going to get a phone chain going. You see, when people try and advance their own agendas, and they're, not, and they're not concerned with the will of God in the body. They are moving against the prescribed order that God has for the governance of the church. And it creates disorder in the body. It absolutely creates disorder in the body. I take very seriously the fact that God has called me to this church to shepherd this people. And so when I read this passage, this is so hard for me. Because I have the same selfish tendencies. I have the same struggles that absolutely each and every one of you do. And so daily I find myself in prayer. Daily I find myself, God, would you lead me? God, would you give me direction? God, would you surround me with those who would drive me to be more like you in my life? But God has called me to this place, He has called me to lead as a lead follower of Him. And when we see people step up and they're advancing their own agendas and they're seeking to have us do things just the way that they want them to be done and if we get outside of that, they get unhappy, it creates disorder. You're doing damage to the body. You're disrupting unity. You're in league with the devil. Do you see the severity of that? This is how important unity around the gospel is. This is how important it is for us to to come together, to see the the message of Christ advance in our community, to see our body grow closer and closer to one another as we rejoice and we share in the sufferings of Christ and we share in the sufferings of those in this body, that he would have us abandon selfish ambition, that he would have us abandon jealousy for his renown, for his glory. He says, don't do it. He said it's going to lead to disorder and to every vile practice. See, as as people advance and they're doing things to gratify self, as they tend to do things to satisfy themselves, they begin not to think about how their behavior impacts those around them. And they begin to engage in illicit behavior. They begin to engage in sensual and, and, and sinful behavior. Because it doesn't matter to them. They're solely there to gratify self. They're solely there to be recognized and they're solely there to meet the things that satisfy them. And then he changes gears again for us. He gives us a picture of what it could look like when we we apply true wisdom in the body. He says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, gentle, open to reason full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere see James sets out much like Paul does in Galatians 5 22 and Paul lists off the fruits of the Spirit Paul or James here in in the book describes the atmosphere that is created when we apply the spirit of wisdom he says the wisdom from above this wisdom that in 1 Corinthians 30 is Jesus himself when it is applied when it is internalized, and when it is the governing rule in a church, it's pure. He says, first of all, it's pure. See, there's no self-seeking in it. There's no dinginess in it. There's nothing sullied. There's nothing filthy. It's, It's unadulterated. It is absolutely pure. He says it's pure, then it's Going on from there, he says it's peaceable, gentle, and open to reason. When he describes the disposition that this type of wisdom has, it's it's gentle. It's open to reason. It's completely contrary to the selfish ambition and to the bitter jealousy. It's just c- completely opposed to all of these things. It's peaceable. See, it works for peace in the body. It's not working to be contentious. It's not working to destroy things. It is peaceable. It is working for peace. It is gentle. Remember that even in rebuke, even in calling sin out in people's lives, it is still gentle. Its desire is not to see someone ridiculed. Its desire is not to see someone brought low. Its desire is to see unity reign in the body and see men and women restored. It's gentle. It's open to reason. This wisdom isn't so sure of its own position. It's not so strong-willed and, 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 and stubborn that it's unwilling to engage even in conversation this is the type of wisdom that we are called to display in the body he says it's full of mercy and good fruits this wisdom moves to action it extends mercy to those that need mercy this wisdom is met out in benevolence this wisdom is met out among those who don't have the ability to care for themselves and it brings with it good fruits it brings with it good action it brings with it people serving it brings with it change he says lastly it is impartial and sincere this wisdom it's impartial it's not even partial to itself You'll remember that as we look through Philippians, we said that we would have no preference but the gospel. This wisdom is directly in line with that. That as it looks at a situation, as it engages a group of people, it is completely impartial. And it is sincere. There is no guile, no mistruth, no half-truth. It's without error. It's without corruption. This wisdom is perfect. And then finally, in verse 18, James gives us a picture of what it is to have this wisdom. He says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We see at the heart of all of this to to apply God's wisdom in this body is to have peace. You see, because where His wisdom reigns supreme, there's no strife, there's no individuals trying to advance their own agendas, there's no one seeking bitter jealousy and, and, or having bitter jealousy and seeking to bring about their conception of how things should be. Because where God's wisdom reigns, there's peace. Where God's wisdom reigns, there is peace. This morning I just want us to reflect which wisdom is reigning in your life. Think about what God is calling you to do. How He's calling you to display His wisdom. How He's calling you to destroy the wisdom that seeks to do nothing but gratify self. We need to have some time of self-evaluation. We need to have some time where we ask ourselves some tough questions. And we as a body need to have some times when we ask those around us why they choose to glorify self over glorifying God. Let me pray for us.